Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Michelle Davey and this is my co-host. Hi everyone, it's Christelle here. Hello, Christelle. Hello. We're joined by a new guest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do my sound thing there and you ruined it. <laughs> we should, we're supposed to be professional by now. You're supposed to have like a proper music, like, you know, little interlude there, Mish. I have, but I edit that in and you've just ruined it. Hello, Steph. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for coming along. Now, Steph, we actually met at the BAPS Awards. Oh. We did, a while ago. It's yeah, that was a very a long time ago now. Yeah, it's a very hazy event for me. So <laughs> um, Christelle might have to be a bit clearer on the uh, on the subject. But um, you are from Instagram account, Steph's Two Girls. So we we, we want to just open the floor here. Just tell us about your girls. You've got two autistic girls, haven't you? Um, uh-huh. Tell us about your journey. Okay, I'll go for it. Um, so, gosh, the journey started, oh, 14 years ago now, a long time. Um, our youngest was two and a half, and her speech was delayed. So she was making a lot of sound and kind of noises, but not clear words. And so we referred her to the speech therapy team for that. And then they passed us on to a pediatrician who um, pretty much at the first meeting said actually we think it's autism um, so it's a bit of a, a shock to us because um, we hadn't really thought there were any other problems it was just the, the speech sounds thing um, but it um, yeah it kind of all made sense from then on because we had noticed she was different in some ways to our older daughter and she wasn't necessarily well it felt like she wasn't listening to us we did the whole standard thing of having hearing tests which is quite common I think for autistic children um and yeah she was very self-directed is a word that comes out a lot in the earlier reports and would do things on her own terms so um yeah the, the autism diagnosis explains some of that but then I started going along to meetings with other mums of autistic girls who were all similar age you know a year or two older and they all just seemed really different to our autistic daughter so that's when I started the whole late night online research stuff and um, that's when I came across the words pathological demand avoidance and the PDA profile of autism and realised that really fitted our daughter so yeah that was a long time ago now. So is it that your youngest daughter was first diagnosed? Yes, so she was young. She was only young when she was diagnosed. And our older daughter was only diagnosed um, about two years ago with autism. Well, actually with ADHD first and then autism. And how did that come around? So she was struggling, I think, through lockdown, like a lot of children had. But um, because the structure of school was taken away, she's, you know, always done quite well at school. But the structure was really keeping it together. And without that at home, um, she found everything much more difficult. Um, There'd been other little things along the way, but we hadn't really noticed them. Obviously, she's very different to our younger daughter. And so, yeah, that was kind of a surprise. And the ADHD, she's not what you would typically expect um, an ADHD child to be. So she's not loud and hyperactive. It's very much all going on in her brain. So, um, yeah, she was struggling with that producing written work side of things yeah because that's the thing with ADHD isn't it that you know there's two separate strands to this really there's two every person's ADHD looks a lot different to somebody else's so is it like inattentiveness 
they call it. Well, yeah, not so much inattentiveness, but just a busy brain, I would say. Yeah. So many thoughts going around. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame the media really only gives this kind of hyperactive version of ADHD and mostly think it's boys. And it was only because I, again, I stumbled across an article that actually said um, it was really um, anxiety and depression that led us to the ADHD diagnosis. And I think those are symptoms that, you know, when ADHD has gone undiagnosed. So that's kind of how we came to that. Yeah. So with the PDA, pathological demand avoidance, we've had people come on and speak about this before. Now, this is something where certain counties in certain areas won't diagnose it which seems absolutely absurd but obviously you have got that diagnosis so tell us what that because I know there's people out there thinking right I know my child has this you know this element this PDA you know this is something that is going on in my household so but yet it won't be diagnosed and the schools and you know the education system won't won't basically acknowledge it. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you and your family. Yeah, so in terms of the diagnosis, we were, like I said, autism was kind of the first diagnosis. And it was then when we found out about PDA, we went back to the paediatrician. And we actually were referred to Great Ormond Street Hospital where we had a lot more in detail um, tests, but they actually, similar to a lot of places, wouldn't do a, a specific PDA diagnosis in black and white, but they gave a very detailed description of everything that she wouldn't do, which kind of did um, confirm the diagnosis. Um, but yeah, there's a real postcode lottery around the UK. Obviously, there are places that diagnose it, um, you know, privately, but actually also some of the NHS teams um, and the PDA Society are doing a lot of work behind the scenes to kind of, you know, follow up with research and talk to all the practitioners and yeah try and get that diagnosing to, to work better so that's yeah, not I read uh, quite a lot as well and it's like PDA you also always think it's associated with autism those that do know about PDA but actually it can be associated quite heavily with with ADHD as well can't it there's a lot of overlap in the symptoms it's yeah. really interesting and obviously ADHD is something I'm more interested in now you know I'm, I'm getting or into that side of things and the, the research myself for, for us. But um, our daughter was, uh, did the Connors assessment for ADHD when she was about six. And I think back then, our results, because they take the parents' um, view and the school's view, and the pa- our parents' view suggested that she probably did have ADHD, but the school's view said probably not. So it kind of fell somewhere between the two. Mm. And then we left that because our daughter won't take any medicine at all anyway. And for us, kind of knowing whether it was ADHD, and you know, we know that medication is one option to kind of help ADHD. And we knew that wasn't going to be possible for her. So we didn't really go any further down that route. I still do think, you know, it's quite likely that she also has ADHD, but that's not, you know, been diagnosed for our youngest. So, yeah. but yeah, a lot of the symptoms do cross over. Yeah, because I, I, was, I hmm. I'll just say this that when um, obviously we did the episode and I've been diagnosed as an adult ADHD, but you see this PDA thing. I'm not saying I defy everything, but there's certain things in my life that I will not do. And it's out of it, it is just something in me. Like, for example, when I was telling my work friend about this, and she was like, What on earth? Why would you not do this? So, I didn't, I refused to set up a direct debit for my cancer tax to the point that at one point in my life, I ended up getting in big trouble with my cancer tax because I was not paying my bill in time. 
And then at Christmas, I said to her, do you know what? I think my New Year's resolution is that I'll, I'll set up a direct debit for my council tax. And she said, why would you have not done that? Would you, how do you pay? And I said, I don't. I'll wait until they send me a warning letter. And she was like, for how long have you been doing this? I was like, years. <laughs> and she was like, why? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. Like, genuinely, I don't know. And she said, come on, let's sit down and do it now. And I was like, no. <laughs> she was like, do you not know your sort code? I was like, and your counties? I was like, of course I do. But I don't know what it is. And it drives my husband mad. Like the moment we've ordered flooring and I need to chase that. I've paid for the flooring and I'm just refusing outright to ring them. And he's like, why are you not ringing him? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> just can't do can't, it. Yeah, and he can't yeah, ring and that's, them. I mean, that is a real big key thing for PGA is the whole can't, not won't. So it's really innate. It's this, you know, inciting that makes people stop being able to do something. It's not that they're just choosing not to, to be awkward. It's a real yeah, yeah. lack of ability to do it. So. And I know that there'll be one day and I just think, okay, I'm going to do it now. Like the day I did do the cancer stats, I think, right, today is the day. <laughs> I'm going yes. to set up a direct debit for my right. cancer tax because mm-hmm. I don't know, everything's aligned today to help me make that decision yeah. <laughs> after five years of being in trouble with them. But <laughs> what does what does PDA look like though? Like if you, somebody that doesn't know what PDA look like, what type of, what type of behaviours, what type of, you know, scenarios so, so, sorry sorry Mish yeah, I just so. wanted to say before we go into that part I just wanted us to highlight about um the can't not won't mm-hmm. just because um I was gonna say because you said you were doing your research and that's what led you to look at PDA um but some people will say but why didn't you just think it was fussy eating because at a young age you know a lot of kids you know they are fussy eaters so mm-hmm. what made you sure before the diagnosis that okay I think this is actually PDA yeah so I mean I would say I was lucky because we had an older daughter and um, she followed the typical kind of things that a parent would expect you know a child to do and react to and all of that and you know typical parenting strategies like rewards and consequences and praise all of that it all worked for our eldest and it really didn't Sasha it was like she had she knew her own mind she was very yeah, so words that might be used negatively, like stubborn, you know, obstinate, awkward, all of those things. But she was just very determined that she would do something or not do it. And it wasn't, it was never based on just not doing the things that are not fun. It was, you know, it could be things that she really wanted to do. So things like going swimming, she loved to do. But we'd get, you know, and this is at the age of three, four, five, you know, so really quite young. We just could not get her to, to leave the house to do something that she would have really enjoyed doing. Um, and those were kind of some of the little signs that we saw early on that, that made us um, think about PDA. There were a couple of other signs for PDA as well. So Sasha was very sociable. She loved being around people. And I think everything at that time that I was reading, and this is obviously 13, 14 years ago, you know, said that autistic people are not, or, you know, struggle more with social contact. But Sasha... Sasha loved that, seemed to, you know, want to be around other children, but there was something about her not understanding the social rules and hierarchy. You know, when she when we went to toddler groups, there'd be a teacher of a music group standing at the front and all the other children would sit quietly on the carpet. And Sasha would run up and down the hall and just ignore the fact that a teacher was in charge. And yes, I know, you know, a lot of parents could say that about a toddler, but it was kind of in all situations. Um, and like when she went to school, it was almost like she thought she was um, almost at the same level as the teacher, 
but also at the same level as the children. It was like everybody was equal, but she would stand out in front of the class, you know, and almost tell the other children what to do as if she was the teacher at times. Um, so kind of that lack of understanding of social rules that actually, you know, I came to realise that it's amazing what other children just pick up sort of by osmosis, I said, you know, and they just learn from watching other children. But Sasha really didn't pick up on all of those kind of social cues at all. So, um, so yeah, that was really key. And then another thing, what made PDA clear or, you know, one of the characteristics was about um, using um, strategies to avoid doing things. So it wasn't that she'd just say no outright. No, I'm not doing it. She would say, I can't do that because my legs don't work or, you know, I'm just other random sort of things. Or instead, if we were asking her to do something, she'd put her fingers in her ears and go, la, 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 la. And like, so, you know, she couldn't hear what we were asking her to do or she'd repeat back everything we were saying. And a lot of these kind of behaviours carried on older than you might expect from from you know children at a young age she kind of carried on doing these so it's kind of almost like some of the understanding wasn't there and I say that but at the same time she is very bright in lots of ways so it it's it was just one of those yeah flags for us yeah and and do the girls did the girls uh go to mainstream or did it yeah. I mean specialist settings yeah so our eldest was already out of mainstream anyway and then Sasha joined that school and they were great with her at the but she did have, um, we applied for an EHCP, an education, health and care plan, just before she started. So she already had that when she went into reception and they um, they gave her more support. The EHCP didn't really say a lot, um, but they did give her more support in school. So she pretty much always had someone with her. And as she progressed through the school, it kind of got more difficult. And obviously the gap between her peers, you know, and them realising that she needed support in some way. Um, so she stayed in mainstream until about the age of 10 and then she had some time out while we tried to decide what would happen but she kind of falls in this big gap because she's you know she's too able for a special school really and yeah. there's a whole load of children were falling in this gap um, but mm. that is what we did because there were no other alternatives in our county there's no autism specific school and um, nothing else so there's literally the mainstreams or the you know learning disability schools so we tried that for her because we knew that mainstream wasn't working um, and that also didn't work. And then after um, a year of trying that, um, she had some more time out. We had lockdown. She tried a specialist school, which was actually in our county. It's only for those in years 10 and 11. So for older children, um, she started that a bit younger than that. But that also didn't work because um, it's all focused on academic subjects and getting those English and maths qualifications and she doesn't learn like that at all mm. she's you know can't really be led and taught by someone else she's very good at soaking up information about things that she wants to know about she's taught herself digital art and animation you know skills that I don't have at all she's taught herself them all brilliantly but yeah in terms of academic subjects she's um she doesn't work well with that no. So what strategies do you put in place, you and your family at home? Like, do you have this sort of, are you working, obviously you're working with this every single day, aren't you? Yeah. Like a battle. Yeah, I've been for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, what sort of strategies do you kind of put in place? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is I am very flexible. I had to totally change my ideas about what parenting is like. Um, just having uh you know, doing a lot of planning up front if we wanted to go somewhere you know when when she was younger 
um, have always having a plan A, a plan B, a plan C and a plan Z for any kind of situation. You know, we would need an escape route um, to make sure because there's, there's all the other autistic characteristics too, you know, like sensory difficulties, things like that, that, you know, make being out of the house um, challenging. Um, but so, yeah, planning ahead is really important and um, doing a lot of often choices, but not too many because then that can get confusing and too much stress. I think what we found with a lot of this, the demand avoidance is based on anxiety. Um, you know, high anxiety, whether that's about getting things right or wrong or what's going to happen and not knowing all of this. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've had to be careful about the anxiety. And, you know, there's different things. There's, there's, I've written a blog post about this because there's anxiety around, she has around things like traveling. So she has you know, quite extreme travel anxiety, which is something that other, you know, autistic or non-autistic individuals could have. But that's kind of on top of her everyday level of anxiety about doing pretty much literally anything um, at this stage. Um, so, yeah, kind of choices, being flexible, um, language, using the right kind of language. So I've just posted something tonight where I said about it. I have to think very carefully about what I say, how I say it, when I say it, um, all of that. You know, we never use the word no, which sounds a bit ridiculous to some parents, but we just can't because that just sends her you know, way over the top. And it's her favourite word, funnily enough. But um, but yeah, we just have not been able to say that to her for 14 years. So obviously, I remember a teacher once asked me, don't you have boundaries for your daughter? And I was like, well, yeah, we have boundaries. But, you know, we think about what's really important. If she was going to run across the road, then I'd say no as kind of a shock thing to stop her. And then hopefully she would probably listen to that because we don't use it, overuse it at other times. But we say no without saying no. So we might say, well, you know, that's not going to be possible today, but we'll consider it tomorrow or maybe do that next week and sort of talk around things. So it's not an outright no, because that just. So, yeah, lots, lots to do with the language. And how is their sisterhood, should I say? <laughs> how do they interact with each other? Oh, when, when they were younger, uh, it was good, really good. Our, our oldest um, was very understanding, I think, without us having to say a lot about it because we kind of just lived in this house where she could also see how quick you know the anxiety would go and that you know that overload from naught to 100 so I think probably she modified her behavior as well um, but then they would play together things like Minecraft you know and gaming they would be you know companions for each other and worked well together but I think as they've got older you know and certainly when our eldest started getting more aware of other people's um, you know, attitudes and thoughts about her sister and that would make her embarrassed and, you know, that's all sort of played a part. So they they are still close, I'd say, but in an apart kind of way. <laughs> and they're teenagers, you know, it's kind of a, they like to do their own thing as well. So. Yeah, and how is that, and how, sorry, how is that for you? How do you, how do you deal with that? What, with their siblings or the... Yeah, like let's say if they're not getting along but because you said they're close but I, I know what you mean they're close but in their own kind of corners. yeah but close because and, um, so it's not so much that they don't get along they just don't spend a lot of time together you know they've both right, kind of yeah. needed their own space yeah. for the past couple of years so as a parent I'd you know I would have loved us all to be doing things together as a family but that's not happened for a while because it's it's just so difficult that you know there's so many challenges for our younger daughter and you're know, leaving the house at all 
is very difficult. So, um, yeah, we kind of had to change the way we do things. You know, we will do things separately with our eldest and our youngest. And that's just the way it has to be for now. And, you know, hopefully when they're both a bit older, then they'll come back together a bit more. And yes. how do you, Steph? Because, like, obviously, uh, Christelle and I are both parents of neurodiverse children ourselves. Like, how do you, with two girls, with you know the needs the PDA needs as well it can be hard work can't it you know how do you how do you protect your well-being basically oh gosh see I, I always think um I'm lucky that I decided to start writing a blog I don't really know what made me do it but it was the day that we got the autism diagnosis so yeah that's 14 years ago I just yeah decided to come home a little bit about that and then you know, I didn't write a lot to start with, but over the years, you know, it's grown. But it, I always say it's been like free therapy for me, kind of sharing. And I wanted to share to help other people understand what our younger daughter was like, because I know how much judging goes on and the attitudes of, you know, you're just being too easy on her. You're not strict enough. You know, she's picking and choosing what she wants to do. But unless you see the full picture, I know it's so difficult when you don't live with it to understand PDA, but I know what's going on. Um, so sharing that has kind of been my, a bit of my sanity <laughs> relief, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't do a lot of myself. I work, I work for the PDA Society and also for the local autism and ADHD charity. So I like helping other parents as well understand a bit more about it all. Yeah, and you're absolutely doing that. I mean, and you've got a book, haven't you, coming Yes, I've written the book now. Yeah, it's wow. a couple of years. <laughs> so tell us I about that. It was easy, but yeah, it's, it's going to be published next start of next year, I think. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh wow! And right. what's the book of me called? I don't know. We need to decide the title. I was possibly something like a, a light bulb moment or something because that's what we talk about in the PDA community a lot of the time. Is PDA just if it fits, everybody goes, "Oh wow!" That's just as soon as you read it. Yes, that. Um, describes our situation so maybe that I don't know. oh wow we'll definitely come back and tell us all about that Steph when your when your book is out we cannot wait to have a good read and yes. let everybody know where they can find you so yes my blog is at um Steph's two girls well www.stephstwogirls.co.uk <laughs> um or I'm at Steph's two girls across most social media brilliant, brilliant. thank you so much Steph thank it's been you. an absolute pleasure Thank you.